Hello, you're listening to Wait, How Do You Spell That? A Rare Disease Podcast. My name is Colby, and I'm the editor here at PatientWorthy. And today, we're going to be discussing Rett syndrome. That's a rare genetic neurological disorder first presenting as misdevelopmental milestones or regression in babies that leads to severe impairments that affect almost every aspect of life. And to help in our discussion today, I'm happy to say that we have two very special guests from the International Rett Syndrome Foundation. Melissa Kennedy is the CEO of the IRSF, and Dominique Pichard is the Chief Science Officer and a parent of a teenager with Rett Syndrome. Melissa, Dominique, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for making the time to come on. We're very happy to have you on and talk about Rett Syndrome with us today. And to start with, Dominique, would you mind giving us an overview of Rett Syndrome for people who may not be familiar with the condition? Sure, Colby. I'd be happy to provide some background. So as you mentioned, Rett syndrome is a rare neurodevelopmental disorder, and it affects about 1 in 10 to 15,000 people. Now, Rett syndrome is due to a mutation on the gene on the X chromosome called the MECP2 gene, and it's almost always a brand new mutation. So not something you get from your mom and dad, but something that just shows up in the affected individual. Because it's on the X chromosome, It was assumed to only affect girls because girls would have one normal one and one that carries a mutation, but we are learning literally day by day that there are boys with this mutation, and every month the number of identified boys grows, which means we still have a lot more to learn about the differences and the similarities between how it affects girls and boys so that we can appropriately diagnose all of those who are affected without that long diagnostic journey. So really back to what RET is, RET typically shows up around six to 18 months of life. So this means that kids are born healthy. They typically have a normal development for that first year, year and a half of life, but then they begin to lose skills. So they lose their verbal communication, suddenly losing their ability to speak words that they once had. And that leaves them nonverbal for the rest of their lives. They lose their ability to use their hands or their arms, which means they can no longer feed themselves. They can no longer hold their toy. They can no longer give a high five or a hug. But they also have more gross motor loss as well. So some kids that already knew how to walk might lose that ability. Kids that never gained that ability may not ever walk independently. So this is a tremendously hard period of loss that happens typically before three years of age, after which time many of the medical issues begin. So the majority of kids will develop seizures in childhood or in early adolescence. These can be quite hard to control. Most kids will develop scoliosis during that later childhood, early adolescence, often requiring a surgical correction. They have gastrointestinal issues like acid reflux, constipation. They have a lot of pulmonary issues with frequent pneumonias. Every time they get a regular cold, it's much worse on their lungs than it is for the next child next to them. And kids and adults with RET typically have you know, a normal cognitive ability, but they're locked into this body that doesn't allow them to function independently, and they get all these medical issues that go along with it. So this shows up not only with the physical dependence, but also with something called apraxia, which makes it challenging for them to interact with the world in kind of the rapid way we're used to interacting with each other. But despite all these, you know, multi-system involvement of RET, these kids are sweet, they're happy, they're hardworking kids often. 
kids and adults who they really light up your life. Many like thrilling adventures, like adaptive skiing, adaptive surfing, roller coasters. And like I said, they understand life going on around them. They can cognitively understand, but they just physically aren't able to interact in the same way. And for both of you, before we get a little deeper into this, can you tell us more about your respective backgrounds and how you became involved in rare disease advocacy? Sure, I'll start off. So I'm a physician scientist by training. Um, I always had an interest in being in research. And once I did complete all of my training, I went to the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, where I worked as a clinical investigator. Um, And really, my focus was bringing treatments from our labs at NIH to the clinic. And I worked with many different rare diseases because that's what NIH focuses on. But as you mentioned, outside of my professional experience, I'm the mother to three wonderful children, but my oldest is a teenager who has Rett syndrome. And so almost three years ago, I decided to take a turn in my career away from actually conducting the research myself to a position as a chief science officer at the International Red Syndrome Foundation to oversee our research program and really manage the direction of our research and our spend in that area. So it was a really awesome way to bridge my personal and professional passions, um, which drive me every day. Okay. And Melissa? Great. Thank you. So I came to International Rett Syndrome Foundation after about a 30-year career in hospital and healthcare administration. I have been in strategic planning for hospitals and health systems, and as well have had responsibility for different kind of service lines. So most recently had responsibility for women and infant services for a large health system in the greater Cincinnati region. And about five years ago, the opportunity to become involved with International Rett Syndrome Foundation was presented to me, and I was excited to be able to take advantage of this opportunity to get involved with the Rett Syndrome community, to take skills and experiences that I learned in my prior career, if you will, and use them to advance the work of the foundation and to serve this really incredible community. The International Rett Syndrome Foundation was founded almost 40 years ago to help accelerate research into this condition and help families within the community to connect with each other. Melissa, can you tell us more about the IRSF and its mission? Thanks. Yeah, I'd be happy to. I've seen a lot of people who talk about the origins of their rare disease foundations, and there's usually like a picture or a photo of a kitchen table that's part of the story. A lot of this important work initiates and begins around a kitchen table, and IRSF is no different. In 1983, there was a small and very dedicated group of parents whose children had Rett syndrome, and they formed the first nonprofit that was focused exclusively on serving the community of families living with Rett through advocacy and connection. It was called the International Rett Syndrome Association. And then in 2007, the International Rett Syndrome Association merged with another foundation called the Rett Syndrome Research Foundation, whose focus was on funding research aimed at changing the course of Rett Syndrome. So this merger actually formed us, the International Rett Syndrome Foundation. And the goal of the merger was to consolidate resources to better serve families and to maximize the research investments available toward a cure. So the International Rett Syndrome Foundation was born with a mission of accelerating research and empowering families. And that two-pronged mission allows us to be focused on cutting-edge research and funding it 
and in a way that includes families as a critical part of the process. Among other things, one of the huge benefits is that it allows us to be very strong advocates of our community as industry becomes more and more involved in funding Rett syndrome research. And Dominique, you talked about some of this earlier, but what are some of the challenges faced by people who are living with Rett syndrome? And what are some of the areas where they need the most support? Oh, that's a great question. I will say we love to focus on all that our kids with Rett syndrome can do because they really are amazing. But the reality is there are very few aspects of life that are not challenging with Rett syndrome. Our kids and adults require full one-to-one adult support for every aspect of their day. And this creates quite a burden on the caregiver. Our kids and adults cannot be alone, sometimes even while they're sleeping, because of their disability during the day and their medical needs overnight. So this sometimes will keep a caregiver with their loved one with Rett syndrome 24 hours a day. And our aging caregivers have to struggle to figure out how to care for their aging dependent child while aging themselves. And I would say our families struggle how to get equipment their loved ones need when insurance denies it, how to get adequate health coverage to be able to afford all the medical and therapy needs, how to find an accessible living space or accessible automobile. Our families struggle in school where most schools don't know how to teach a complex learner. Like I said, so many of our kids with Rhett cognitively are age appropriate. And how do you teach a child who has no verbal output and can't use their hands to type or sign and really relies only on their eye gaze? These are all major challenges that impact every day of their life. And it's all aspects of life that present a challenge. I would say that the impact is felt not only by the child with Rhett and their caregiver, but their whole family unit, siblings, grandparents, sometimes other close family members too. One of the particular areas of focus for the IRSF, as Melissa mentioned, is research. Dominique, can you tell us about the foundation's history in that area and some of the milestones you've achieved? Yes. And as Melissa shared earlier, IRSF and its legacy foundations have been in existence for almost 40 years. Next year will be 40 years. And And really, there have been so many impressive achievements over these four decades. So some of the highlights, and we've funded work that identified the gene that's responsible for Rett syndrome, that MECP2. We funded work that demonstrated that Rett syndrome is reversible in a rodent model. So this was a really cool experiment that all of a sudden changed the field of research because then people realized, well... If in the rodent model, you can reverse Rett syndrome, maybe you can do that in individuals living with Rett syndrome. If you could just get that missing gene or protein back, that has really been a drastic research finding that changed the field. We've been involved in funding early clinical trials, including a trial for a drug called trofinitide. And this is a drug that now has completed a phase three clinical trial, a phase three study. In December, they demonstrated positive results. They met their endpoints. And just last month, the sponsor submitted a new drug application to the FDA to try to get FDA approval for this drug. So this was started from us funding the early clinical trials to see if this was even a viable option. We've also supported a natural history study that was NIH funded, but we helped to support it. 
And this was the most comprehensive data collection of Rett syndrome in the world. It's resulted in more than 50 peer-reviewed publications, which then have changed the care for Rett syndrome, the quality of life for Rett syndrome. It has certainly led to longevity in individuals with Rett syndrome because of what we learned through that natural history study. But it's also helping companies today as they develop their new clinical trials, because we now know what to expect and what to look for in changes. So really over you know, the 40 years or so, we've invested over $54 million in research. These are just a few of the highlights that have made a significant impact. Thank you. And speaking of clinical trials, earlier this year, the IRSF launched a clinical trial committee to help support the development of treatments for Rett syndrome. Melissa, can you talk about why this initiative is so important? Thanks. I'm happy to do that. That's a great question. And this is work that our foundation is really excited about supporting. I'm going to have to offer a little bit of context because Rett syndrome is a rare disease. Local medical providers often don't have the expertise that's needed to meet the needs of Rett syndrome families. So because of that, as well as the work that was necessary to continue the natural history study that Dominique was just talking about, our foundation actually established a center of excellence network about a year and a half ago. That network now has 18 clinics, and we established that network in an attempt to make care available to more families either by on-site clinic visits or by providing specialty consultation. Each one of those clinics has received their designation through a competitive application process. And during that process, they demonstrated that they have exceptional knowledge of how to care for individuals with RET, that they include all of the appropriate specialists and in the care plan and as part of the treatment and that they also participate in clinical research. This has been a fantastic development for our community. So with that as the backdrop, I will say that in addition to providing excellent clinical care, the Center of Excellence Network expands the infrastructure that's really important to support enhanced clinical research. This work is incredibly important because as Dominique was just sharing, there are not yet any approved treatments for Rett syndrome. So the centers actively contribute to our Rett syndrome registry. They capture clinical and outcomes data from clinicians and caregivers. And it is the intention of this registry that it will support research and drug development. All of this has really dramatically increased industry interest in developing treatments for RET. There are now over 20 companies with an active RET program and more on the way. And what's really important to understand is that as a rare disease, we're not going to get many shots at advancing therapeutics. So our foundation needs to make sure that we're fully prepared to advocate and support for a properly designed and properly executed clinical trials. So we made the decision to form a clinical trial committee and using the very strong relationships that we have with our center of excellence directors, as well as family members of individuals living with RET, we collectively provide companies that have a potential RET program an opportunity to present to our committee gather feedback on the program, regardless of where they're at in their development. We've already held several of these meetings, 
And they've covered the pre-competitive environment. They've also covered actual protocol design for clinical trials. It's really exciting to be able to have that. The committee really capitalizes on the foundation's relationships. And we do that in an attempt to help drug developers get the insights that they need to make the most out of their investment in Rett syndrome clinical trials. So our foundation is committed to providing every company with a Rett syndrome treatment development program with access to this committee. It's part of our duty as an organization that's dedicated to giving new potential treatment options the best chance of ultimately making it into the hands of Rett families. Okay, thank you. And going off of that, Dominique, you mentioned a few of these earlier, but can you expand on the current treatment landscape for Rett syndrome and what's on the horizon? Yes. So I, as I mentioned earlier, trofinitide is a drug that Acadia is the sponsor for, and they completed their phase three trial, had met their primary and secondary endpoints, and they've submitted the new drug application to the FDA. So that is certainly the most advanced in terms of drug development that we have gotten. And I would say really for most neurodevelopmental disorders, they don't have approved treatments that target part of the underlying pathophysiology. So that's really an exciting advancement for Rett syndrome to be at this stage. But that's not the only one. We have other exciting advancements coming behind it. As Melissa mentioned, there are over 20 companies that are invested in Rett syndrome programs. One of the exciting ones is a gene therapy trial. We actually have two gene therapy trials on the horizon. One is with Tasha Gene Therapy, and they have approval from Health Canada to begin enrollment for their clinical trial in Canada. And another one is a company that recently announced their gene therapy program. It's called Neurogene. There are also several other companies, both with genetic approaches as well as small molecules that are at different stages of development. So really, as Melissa mentioned, we need to have a pipeline. We know that not every drug or treatment approach is going to work, and therefore we need to have as many shots on goal as we can. And that's part of what one of our big pillars of research is to grow that pipeline to make sure that there's always something else coming down the road because it's not going to be one treatment for every single person with RET. So we need to think of all people living with RET and make sure that there are treatments down the road that can help each one. Right. And Dominique, what advice do you have for someone whose child has just been diagnosed with Rett syndrome? What kind of support can the IRSF offer these families? I will share that someone whose child has just been diagnosed with Rett is at one of the most challenging times in their life, most likely. And really, I would say take one step at a time. You know, we've all heard that saying, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that's true. As I shared earlier, our loved ones with Rett syndrome live into adulthood. And so aging adults are still taking care of their aging dependent child. And you have to think of what it takes to get through this marathon, really taking that one step at a time, making sure that you're taking care of yourself and recognize that there are lots of people around you who are there to support you in what might feel like a dark, lonely world. And that's where IRSF really shines. 
we're there to support families. We've spent most of this time talking about the research aspect, which is such an important part of our dual prong mission. But the other prong of our mission is to support families. And we have staff members whose focus is specifically to work with families. So we have Samantha Brandt on our staff who connects with all new families that reach out to us. She meets them where they are and she provides the support. She connects them to the resources, tells them what to expect, what to ask, gives them the resources that they need, how to talk to their doctors, where they should be looking for expertise. But also really importantly, she connects them to each other so that they have other parents who are going through a similar experience at, I'll say, a similar stage that they are in. We can call them classes or cohorts. You know, you you get to know these families that are at a similar stage and going through similar struggles. And that is such a powerful bond. And it's so helpful to know you're not alone. Because as, as I mentioned, it's fairly rare. So you look around in your neighborhood or you look around in your elementary school or on the soccer field, you're probably not going to find another parent of an individual with RET. And that feels lonely. So IRSF is there to make sure these families are connected to us so that we can help them. We empower them by providing them knowledge and we empower them by connecting them to each other. But I know the IRSF offers various events and programming throughout the year, such as local strollathons and the Ascend National Summit that was held earlier this year in April. Melissa, can you expand on these events and how they help support the Rett Syndrome community? Thanks. I'd love to do that. And it's really a perfect segue because Dominique was talking about the other part of our mission being to empower families. So all of our activities and events that happen really fall into one of two categories. The first is educational programming, and that's really intended to make sure that families have and caregivers have the most up-to-date information that's available about Rett syndrome, Rett syndrome care, therapies, et cetera. So we hold monthly Rett education webinars, our Rett Eds, that cover broad topics. And again, those are held monthly. They're free. Uh, Part of our commitment to the community is that all of our educational programming is completely free. We also host in-person regional ed days at one of our centers of excellence or a variety of our centers of excellence throughout the United States. We're planning for one this fall. And, And the goal of that is to allow families who live in the area immediately around that center of excellence to connect with other families, meet with researchers and clinicians in that area, uh, learn what services are available to them, other families that might be there. And then every couple of years, we host what you talked about, and that's our Ascend Conference. And that is a massive undertaking. It is great fun. And most recently, our, our event in Nashville brought together 500 families with over 100 researchers and clinicians who specialize in the field of RET, as well as probably 60 or 70 representatives from industry. And the goal of that meeting is really to educate and engage and give the community an opportunity to convene and gather and just connect. The other category of events that we have 
are our strollathons, and those are, I'd say, more casual. If you look at our website, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, they are happening all over the country. They really offer families an opportunity just to casually connect with other families in their area. We don't have a whole lot of programming around that. The other thing that those strolls do is they do offer families an opportunity to fundraise for us because we are entirely donor driven. So families who want to use those as fundraising opportunities certainly do that. They are happening especially in the fall because October is Rett Syndrome Awareness Month. So we have a lot of events and activity throughout the entire fall season. Okay. And finally, the last question here, if someone listening today wants to find out more information about Rett Syndrome or ways that they can get involved, what's the best place for them to do that, Melissa? Thank you. That one's quick and easy. Go to www.rettsyndrome.org. Our website provides all of the information that you might need if you're a newly diagnosed family or if you're simply someone who's interested and wants to help. You'll find everything that you need there. Well, Melissa, Dominique, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today to talk about Rett Syndrome and some of the great work being done at the International Rett Syndrome Foundation. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Colby. We appreciate your time. Of course. And if you'd like to learn more about some of the support that the International Rett Syndrome Foundation offers, you can find out more information plus ways that you can get involved over at rettsyndrome.org. And we'll leave some links in the show notes for you to check out and get connected. And remember, you can always keep up with the latest in rare disease news by visiting our website at patientworthy.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for patientworthy on those platforms. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. It may seem like a small thing, but a review or rating really does go a long way toward helping us out. Finally, if you have any questions about the podcast or perhaps an idea for a future episode, you can get in touch with me by sending an email to Colby, that's C-O-L-B-Y, at patientworthy.com. That does it for today's episode. Thank you once again to Melissa Kennedy and Dominique Pichard from the International Rett Syndrome Foundation for joining me on the show today. And as always, thank you for listening. Thank you.